I'm Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast about everything for supply chain advantage. So let's begin. Today's episode is predicting the unpredictable. To paraphrase Roald Dahl, the children's author, this is a tale of the unexpected. We should always think about the unexpected as the norm. Not many things in life go exactly to plan. So why are we so surprised when things go wrong? If you're a supply chain professional, you know with some certainty that something is likely to disrupt the best laid plans. The response is what matters. What can you do to put things back on track quickly? This is why there is much talk about resilience. For all those students of supply chain, along with the many professionals that spent hours playing the beer game, you know that disruption is normal. You also have learned from the experience and know that to correct disruption and the causes of it often make it worse, given the actions taken to make adjustment to flows within the supply chain. In other words, it's not simple. It is complicated. Would a simple algorithm solve the problem? Well, let's think about the science of prediction. If you follow professional sport, you'll know that the bookie's favourite doesn't always win. Surprise, surprise. This is one reason we like it. In our sporting lives, unpredictability makes it exciting, exhilarating and a unique experience. We love the fact that you can't be sure of the prediction. Why then, when we return to our working lives, do we expect things to happen as planned? Should we just learn to accept it as a matter of fact and not be too concerned? After all, isn't an exciting, exhilarating and unique experience attractive to make our working lives better? Well, I can already hear some groans from the listener. (coughs) Excitement is not what I want, you say. I prefer things to go smoothly. This is rather like putting your old slippers on and knowing they're always in the place you left them behind the door as you enter your comfortable life at home. As Benjamin Franklin said, a place for everything and everything in its place. We hanker after orderliness. All else is chaos. Is it because we've been taught that order is the norm when in reality it isn't? If I study all the form of all the horses in a race, why am I still not certain of predicting the winner? If I gather all the data about football teams, including team selections, positions, individual player performance metrics, about pass completions, possessions, and times of goals scored and tactics, and everything else there is, why am I unlikely to predict a winner with a probability not much better, if at all, than flipping a coin? If all this is true... 
Why then do I waste so much energy gathering data, examining variables and computing odds? Is it because it gives me comfort, even though it's likely wrong? Similarly, in business, we spend a lot of time and energy gathering data, building algorithms to predict some future outcome and gain some comfort from knowing we have a forecast and a plan. Strange, isn't it, that so much faith is put into the data and our manipulative abilities to get a forecast. If it were so simple, we'd all be winners. But the reason we're not is because the unexpected happens. I often reflect and think that modern technology has offered technical solutions, many of which are smart and most are certainly of benefit. We must remember, however, that humans design and build the technology in which we place so much trust and faith. The hardware and the software that drives the algorithms containing so many assumptions that are contained in a black box, a black box which we can't see into, it's not transparent, and we assume the algorithm is infallible. In the past few years, the big tech companies have peddled the myth that they have the data to predict everything. It is, after all, in their interest to do so. As they might say in Yorkshire, there's brass to be made that is, money from data and predictions. This claim about being able to predict everything is almost correct unless you add a subclause to the previous sentence, which is accurately. Yes, they can predict everything given the data, but whether or not the data has valid assumptions built into the algorithms used by the forecaster is not clear. Rudyard Kipling wrote a piece about six serving men, why, what, where, when, how and who. And this springs to mind when I think about the purpose, the reason, selection of data, time, technique or method, and who's involved in making the choices. Put differently, who is the chef and what ingredients are included to bake the cake and who's it for? We think about a world of fractals, patterns that repeat in geometric size. But actually, the world is not just complicated, it's complex. Fractals occur naturally in our world, essentially as recurring patterns. In mathematics, fractals are a subset of Euclidean space. Felix Hausdorff introduced the concept in 1918, recognizing geometrical recursions of shapes. For example, if you take a form such as a circle, a square, or a triangle and repeatedly copy it in scale, this is a fractional representation of the original form, and these are fractals. It's called self-similarity. So you can create a complex pattern from an original form by repeating it at scale to infinity. Fractals occur naturally in dynamic systems. Examples are all around us. Trees, flowers, various plant life, where simple processes repeat patterns into the future. The past creates the present and future. We recognize fractals in fossils and are able to identify the species. We cut a tree stump and see fractals in the aging rings of the tree. In human biology, fractals appear in organs and bodily makeup, 
In space, fractals are created and observed in the stars and galaxies. In computer science, Benoit Mandelbrot developed an algebraic equation recognizing the reproduction of what has come to be known as the Mandelbrot set. Patterns can be generated using the set to determine the next number. That's a fractal. The Mandelbrot set is used to generate infinite copies by repeating the process, rendering images of self-similarity. The algebraic equation might take the form z equals z squared plus c, and you repeat that process time and time again and create copies of the original. Now, you might be asking the question at this point, why are fractals important in our conversation right now? Well, fractals are in essence copies of something in the present taken into the future. And isn't that what a forecast is? Don't we look to the past and to the present and then make predictions about some future state based on those originals? So if we get a series of data, we look at that data, we make some assumptions, and we build that into a a rolling forward mathematical forecast. And the question then becomes, is the future always a copy of the past? Well, of course it isn't. If we step back to ancient Greece, it was the philosopher Plato who discussed form, essentially an idea or a concept. In discussion, he refers to human form, animal form, such as cats, dogs, pigs, horses, and birds. In each species, we can identify form as similarity, but we also see differences within form. For example, humans come in different sizes, shapes, gender, with faces that resemble but do not replicate each other. Forms have properties. For example, birds have two legs, two wings, two eyes, and feathers. Beyond that, we may distinguish different types by size, shape, colouring, and sounds. Their characteristics. Although we can identify fractals, they are not perfect. In business, we might observe conditions that resemble past patterns in the present analysis. Resemblance is not exact. It may, however, give some indications of what may happen next. In other words, we might be able to predict future events building on the trends, if we can spot them. Although we can argue, as Democritus, another ancient Greek philosopher did, that you cannot enter the same river twice. In other words, there's no perfect copy when it comes to the natural world. The conditions are always somewhat different. In the 17th century, Scottish philosopher David Hume raised the problem of induction, generating knowledge. Put simply, if you rely on past experience to learn everything about the present, it assumes there is continuity. The problem comes from an event occurring that no one has previous experience of, the discontinuity. There are no fractals to examine. There are such examples in the contemporary business world that spring to mind as singular events where there is no experience, such as the tsunamis in Asia, in places like Sri Lanka, when that happened, the Icelandic volcanic eruptions that grounded aircraft for months, because of black cloud dust in the atmosphere, the COVID-19 pandemic, and global supply chains held up by the ever-given ship, which effectively logjammed the Suez Canal back in March. These are occurrences I would identify as black swans, or black swan moments. These are not events that could be predicted with certainty, 
You could not have forecast these matters using traditional forecasting techniques or mathematical models. There was no data on which to build the forecast, and this is exactly one of the problems with forecasting. Unless the past resembles the present and can be extended as a continuity to a future state, it is near impossible to predict. You could always try tea leaves, tarot cards, crystal balls, and, of course, the dark arts. The moral of the tale, when faced with unforeseen, unpredictable, unique events, business people need to be agile and offer flexible responses to the problems they face. Forecasts, of course, are better than guesswork. They are based on data, and so there's a a basis for the judgment. The downside, of course, is that sometimes the past experience of the business may not provide a good indication of the future. And it is about this continuity that we've talked about, that the past extends into a future position. If it's discontinuous and there's a break, that's problematic. And this is clearly evident in businesses where they've entered new markets, developed new supply chains and changed the distribution channels. And they might have developed many new products too. In these circumstances, it's unlikely that the past data will provide a good indication of future events. And so, although forecasts may be useful, we shouldn't underestimate the problems involved in forecasting. When we update data and we use rolling forecasts, we would try to do those no more than about four months ahead because anything longer is likely to get less accurate. The best forecast, of course, especially in today's digital environment, is to use real-time data and make decisions based on that real-time data but take account of anything that's likely to affect that data and any disruptions that we are aware of on the environmental frontier. So if we know there's going to be political disruption or there's an economic downturn in a particular economy or there's social change taking place that's changing people's attitudes towards the purchases that they make, maybe with regard to things like sustainability and climate change, or there's technological switches where people are making a switch out of traditional purchases that they make and moving to something else that offers them better value. So let's turn our attention right now to some other things happening in the supply chain world this week. One of the things that crossed my desk earlier in the week was a note telling me how freight rates have increased, quadrupled or more during the period of the last six months or so, and still rising. Uh, They're blaming things like the shortage of boxes or boxes in the wrong place, the shortage of port handling, a whole raft of things. But there's an inflationary pressure on freight rates that's pushing up the cost of transporting goods from different places. And the problem for obviously some retailers is where they've got uh, relatively low value goods, but they're taking up a large volume in a container box, then that really ramps up the cost for those uh, those businesses. And you can see a situation where they'll be looking at the ranges that they offer in store and perhaps saying to themselves, well, some of these things have to be delisted. They have to come out the range because it's just going to be too expensive. We're going to have to ramp up the retail prices so much to cover their freight costs that it just won't be worth holding the stock. 
So there's a trade-off with the inventory. The two uh, intermodal containers, 20-foot and 40-foot standard sizes, uh, that uh, are continuously in use by businesses to ship goods around the globe, they're both rising fast. And of course, as those costs go up, it's not just the cost that's rising because of the shortages and the the uh, lack of capacity at ports, but it's also the impact of changing exchange rates as well. In a volatile world, as things change and shift and move around and cost structures change, then that puts pressure on prices too. As an example of the cost increases in 40-foot containers, for example, moving from China to the United States West Coast, the cost has risen by around 400% since the uh, start of 2020. So back in January 2020, that was a 100%. And right now, they're around about 400% increase on that 100%. So it's four times the price. Air freight costs too mirror what happens with the sea freight costs, and they've increased by a significant amount. Not quite as much as the sea freight in the region of 300% or more. Another simple reason for the substantial increase in costs, apart from the shortage of containers, demand has actually increased. It hasn't fallen during the pandemic. People are still buying their goods from companies like Amazon and other organisations bringing supplies from mainland China. And so those rates are likely to remain high in the near future. And if you have to buy container space on spot, then that those costs will be even higher. So forward planning is the key. We were reminded once again this week just how dangerous it can be working in transportation, bringing goods from different parts of the globe, especially things like chemicals and so on. The motor vessel Express Pearl, a container ship under a Singapore flag, was carrying cosmetics and chemicals, including 25 tonnes of nitric acid, according to Reuters, and it was anchored off Colombo, Sri Lanka, when it caught fire. The crew had to be evacuated as the fire intensified and black smoke filled the air. There's been an intensive effort by the Sri Lankan authorities and India also sent ships to the aid of the vessel. So let's hope that uh, no one is injured and the situation can come under control. Let's return to a story we had a few weeks ago on the Chain Reaction podcast, which was the ever-given ship that was stuck in the Suez Canal, blocking millions of dollars of global supplies. Well, the news is, it's still there. It's in the Great Bitter Lake, where the ship was placed under arrest on April the 14th, and the Suez Canal Authority was claiming $916 million from the company that owns the ever-given as a reflection of the costs. In other words, what people have called a salvage bonus and a payment for the loss of reputation. The Suez Canal Authority claims that it was losing in the region of $15 million a day in fees and there were about 400 ships delayed in the Suez Canal during that period which damaged its reputation. A ship sailing through Suez pays in the region of around about $100,000. The goods on board the Ever Given should have arrived at European ports, or destination ports, around about a month ago, and they're still locked inside the ship. The insurers and the Ever Given owners are fighting the claims of the Suez Canal Authority, originally around a billion dollars, recently dropped to 
half that sum, around about $550 million, but there's still a big legal battle going on. Today's episode, talking about predicting the unpredictable, Ever Given was exactly the unpredictable, but what's not so unpredictable is the legal wrangling that will likely take place for some considerable time. One wonders how the goods on board Ever Given will last the cause, and there'll be other casualties from the collateral damage related to not getting supplies off that particular ship. People won't get paid, maybe. People won't get supplies. It might cause knock-on effects for all kinds of other people. So it's a very sad situation, really. And let's not forget the crew of the Ever Given in all of this, because they're still on board, apparently. So the sooner this is resolved satisfactorily for parties involved and the claims are more reasonable and managed to an appropriate level, I think that would be in everybody's best interests. Let's hope a solution can be found shortly. If you're not familiar with the Ever Given story, check out my earlier podcast where I devoted a whole episode to the Ever Given story as it was happening. So that's it for this episode of Chain Reaction Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, All about uh, supply chain advantage, predicting the unpredictable. So before next time, if you want to drop by the Tony Hines blog, you will see an article related to this podcast and you can read at leisure. So bye for now. See you next time. You've been listening to Chain Reaction, all about supply chain advantage, written and presented by Tony Hines. (laughs) 